So we have gotten political already here in the fast lane. Uh, I don't know if it's a good thing or not. Keep your thoughts coming. Fast lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Trey Lyle VT to hit Trey up. And uh, yeah, he can get caught with some strays uh, as well from my comments that might have gotten us as a show in trouble. So... Why not go even further? We don't have to embrace debate per se because we're often on the same page with our next guest, Brett Freelander of SaturdayRoad.com. But, Brett, it is back in the news, politics and sports intersecting, because today, Virginia Attorney General Jason Meares, yes, he the one who already threatened to uh, reach out and file suits against the NCAA for the ridiculous JMU postseason eligibility snafu, he now is jumped in on the idea that NIL is not being properly regulated. Everyone thought Tennessee could be involved in this, especially given the NCAA investigation. Nothing shocks you with Florida. You shocked that Virginia's getting into the foray on this? A little bit, but when you really kind of peel the onion back a little bit, I can see several reasons as to as to why. First of all, you know, there might be more letters of of, you know, of allegations uh, handed out. You know, there may be something coming down the pipe for either Virginia or Virginia Tech or, or somebody else. So, you know, he may be anticipating that. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that's a possibility. The other possibility is that there's, there are really no rules with, with NIL. And it, it, it's, it's something that the NCAA could have avoided four years ago by actually putting some guidelines into place. Instead, they just they, they passed the, you know, the ball to somebody else. Congress didn't want to do it, and the schools didn't want to do it, and every state's got different uh, rules. And as a result, now they're trying to enforce rules that really didn't exist and may not still exist. And I, and I think that uh, you know, the, the playing field is not necessarily level, because just look at the ACC and look at the collectives that Florida State, that Clemson, that North Carolina and especially Miami have, and and maybe Virginia and Virginia Tech in particular feel like the way things are right now, they're at a disadvantage. And by suing to try to get some rules in place, maybe that levels the playing field a little bit. Brett, you brought up that point. How much of this is also the idea that there's a level of grandstanding and uh, everybody taking their steps on this, but the concept, (laughs) to go further... The concept of trying to help position the Virginia schools as being desirable whenever the next round of conference realignment goes. Well, I, I yes, uh, I'm not necessarily convinced that there's going to be a next round very, very soon. I, I don't think Florida State's going to win that suit. I think that, and if you check out my my column that's actually posted on today's uh, on, on our site today, uh, I suggest that it's it's basically a genius fundraising strategy more than anything else uh, but uh, I, I honestly believe that that Florida State's end game is is to get some sort of settlement because I'm not a lawyer I, I, I don't you know, know the specifics of the case and everything but reading what I read their argument is that they're that the grant of rights and that the ACC's TV deal are terrible contracts and they are 
<laughs> but they willingly signed them not once but twice. So I'm not sure they're going to win that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that it definitely does. And, and I think it's particularly the Hokies because I think that Virginia is a much more marketable product in the same way that North Carolina is a much, much more desirable product for, say, the Big Ten than, uh, than NC State. Fascinating perspective. That's not going away anytime soon. Uh, and the parallels are, are evident in regards to this. Uh, but th- there will be more that pops up down the road in terms of conference realignment or lack thereof, including Absolutely. Florida State. And Brett, you mentioned your article on Florida State and the idea of it being a fundraising move within the ACC and within the conference. Um there's something that's lurked under the radar, by the way, with this. And we've opined on this a number of times, but Sports Business Journal was the first to report uh, a few months ago the idea of the NFL, you know, maybe wanting to, to organize with some of the bigger brands in college football. And obviously, they run it, so they have the liability, and the NFL dodges that. But also, now the NFL, the idea of getting involved in ESPN and some kind of ownership stake, are we maybe trending towards a situation where that forces the hand of everybody more than anything and the NFL kind of says, here's how you want to do it, and they create their own minor league without having to have all the legal liabilities and hurdles that come with it? I think that is an inevitable. I think it's, it's, it's just a matter of when rather than if that happens. And yes, and I think that's one of the reasons why there's so much of an emphasis on, on, on the, the arms race when it comes to money right now. Um, because, listen, how much do you need? I mean, Florida State went undefeated this year with the budget that they have. But why do they want more? Because they're anticipating that there's going to be pay-for-play and the, the football schools, uh, however many, 40 or whatever, are going to break off and they're going to have their own entity. And like you said, whether it's run by the NFL or not, they're going to need that money. They need to build war chests now for the for the inevitability that that's going to happen. So, yeah, I think it is going to happen. I think, you know, that right now it's a matter of trying to figure out the framework of it. But I do believe that sooner than later, that's that, that's that's an inevitability. Nothing makes my heart grow fonder than confirmation bias from Brett Friedlander of SaturdayRoad.com <laughs> and Be Free to ACC. By the way, before we pivot to basketball, you said the phrase pay for play. By that, you mean official pay for play, right? Not NIL, yeah. which is basically pay for play. No, I'm, I'm saying that, that athletes will end up being employees and will be paid a salary. Um, and while they will be loosely affiliated with the school, and maybe they'll still have some academic requirements, uh, the rules are going to be totally different for football, for big-time football. Uh, you'll have a different division, and they'll be self-governed. That's a whole different can of worms as well, Brett, because I've said this for years, that if you want to make the best, and some guys can juggle it real well, but a lot of these guys have some academic skills that could work at a school, but juggling football and sports is much more challenging for them that uh, instead just give them the four-year education at the school and they can use it whenever they're eligibility yep. expires or their career is done and they might actually get a lot more heck Carolina did that forever with basketball players and we'll pivot to that now but <laughs> they did it for years where guys would leave for the NBA draft and they'd come back and get their degree and I would imagine you know granted they have a lot of money in the bank but they're probably more focused in their mid to late 20s yeah. or even 30s on actually met on actually taking advantage of it than they are just in the stay eligible status uh, yes and the other thing too is they're liable to uh, to to get their degrees it's something that they can actually use where they know what they want to do post basketball or football and 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 they're they're 
better in tune to, you know, to, to getting an education as opposed to just staying eligible. And oh, by the way, um, the other benefit to breaking loose and, and, and having your own entity where you're self-governing, where the NCAA is not involved, is that uh, you can have as many guys on scholarship as you want because it wouldn't count against the, uh, the Title IX uh, uh, account. So you know, there, there are a lot of reasons why that, I think, is eventually going to happen. Brett Freelander of SaturdayRoad.com offering up more great insights there and at BeFreed ACC on Twitter. Uh, we will not get into your coaching rankings because that's not <laughs> changing anytime soon. And yes, uh, it's comical for football. But basketball in and of itself, we will transition to a subject uh, there. Virginia, they battle Notre Dame this evening. It is yet another weeknight home game. And yes, they will have a weekend road game at Miami coming up. For Virginia right now, and heck, let's put Virginia Tech in this category. Different bracket projections kind of have both of them flirting with the bubble. Do you see that, or do you see a lot of work needing to be done by both Tech and UVA? I see a lot more work needing to be done by Tech than UVA. Um, I, I think that UVA's schedule uh, lends itself to the fact that they're you know that they've got more opportunities for quad one games coming up. I believe Virginia Tech really only has two left. When Chapel Hill, when um, UNC comes to Blacksburg, and uh, excuse me, when they go to UNC, and when Miami comes to Blacksburg, it's one or the other. But those two games are the are the only um, the only quad one opportunities that they have. Virginia has many more, and I think they're trending in a better direction. I think that they're really playing. They're starting to kind of key in. They're starting to to, to get the the defensive concepts that Tony likes and. They're playing better. Now, the question is, can they start playing uh, as well on the road as they do in Charlottesville? I mean, they haven't lost in, what, two years at home. Um, but they've gotten wiped out by Notre Dame, by NC State, you know, on the road. Now, they've started to, to figure it out. They beat Georgia Tech, and I think they won one other one. But uh, they're going to have to win consistently on the road because that's where their quad one opportunities are probably going to come. I mean, I can't believe you forgot they won in the intimidating environment of Louisville, Kentucky with that basketball uh, program. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, I tell you what, though, that's a, that's a huge result. Because as Clemson proved last year, um, when you're talking about the NCAA and the net and the selection committee, bad losses, I think, weigh a lot heavier than good wins. And last year, Clemson went to Louisville, lost, and then I think that's the game that kept them out of the NCAA tournament. So if you want to get in, you, you, you need to win those quad one games. You need to get a couple of those, but you also cannot afford a, you know, an egregious loss. Yeah, and, and as bad as Virginia's losses have been, the the one at Notre Dame is the only one that is is a real stain, relatively speaking. You can at least explain away NC State, Wake Forest, Tech, Memphis was good back when they played them. Who knows what'll yep. be uh, coming up? And uh, you know Wisconsin's a top five team right now, so uh, it's a neutral site, but still that doesn't look too terrible right now. Uh, nope. But. You, you you mentioned both of those teams. In Virginia, they do play tonight against Notre Dame, and some people may be listening to this after the fact. It may not always be flashy, but how much of a boost have they gotten, particularly from Jordan Minor and his ability to free up Ryan Dunn to be more of a chess piece that you move around as opposed to a let's jam the square peg into the round hole of a post player? Yeah, I think that's a huge. That's that was a huge uh, lineup move that Tony made, and uh, and you can kind of see him really starting to get comfortable. And he's one of those guys who, you know, is is it's taken a while to kind of 
that, that defense doesn't happen right away. I mean, you, it's, it's an acquired taste, and it requires communication, and it requires anticipation, and it just, you know, you only get that from playing it. And, and, uh, and, and I, I think that's starting to come along. And, yeah, Miner has been uh, a, a real big difference maker, and, boy, Dunn is playing great, isn't he? He has. I mean, in the, it's opened things up. Their backcourt looks more settled. Even if Harris is kind of hit and miss, at least it's not all on Reese Beekman all the time to do or everything. Field, yeah, yeah. And it's opened things up for them. Uh, pivoting outside of the Commonwealth of Virginia to just an overall state of, of college basketball, and we'll get into the Carolina-Duke game momentarily, but Carolina lost to Georgia Tech last night. I mean, first of all, I admire Damon Stoudemire. A lot of these NBA players that become coaches seem to be way in over their head. <laughs> Jawan Howard at Michigan, for example, uh, and <laughs> others. But what do you make of Georgia Tech? Just just as a quick aside, they've beaten Duke at home, they've beaten Carolina at home, but they have a number of head-scratching losses, some of them in blowout fashion. Yeah, and they've also won at Clemson, too. So they've beaten the three highest-rated teams in the ACC and currently in the net. I love Damon Stoudemire and what he's doing. And by the way, he's an NBA guy, but don't forget he was the head coach of Pacific. And he won 20 games the year before the, uh, the pandemic. And then they were, I believe, just around 500 when their season got shut down in 2021 because of the, because of the pandemic. And, um, and, and so he's got experience at this level. But I, I think he has got what it takes to do what his last couple of predecessors at, at, uh, at Georgia Tech we're not able to do, and that's recruit Atlanta. And, you know, listen, you can, you can talk all you want about the X's and O's, about schemes and about things like that, but you ain't going to win if you don't have the players. And I think that his experience in the NBA basically saying, hey, I can get you the league. I've been there. I know how to get there. Um, the name that he has is a college player of the year. Uh, I, I, I just I, – he's young, and he, he really is very smart. I just think that he's in a great spot, and – Give him another year or two to get some players, and, and uh, if the uh, if, if the if the kid and Nathan George stay, boy, what a great foundation that is to uh, to to, uh, to build on. So yeah, I love what they're doing. It's a it's a young program right at the beginning, and and so you know there are growing pains, but you can see, I mean, not only did they beat Duke, but they were up 11 in the second half against them um, at Cameron before they realized what the heck was going on and, and faltered down the stretch. So. You know, you, you can see it's there. They just need a little bit more talent. Brett, about a month ago, heck, even a couple of weeks ago, it looked like it was Duke, Carolina, and the other Carolina schools, State and Wake, plus Clemson and Miami, that all you know can make a case as teams that you trust in the ACC. Is it now just Duke and Carolina that are in that category? Nope. I, I Listen, last Saturday, both Florida State and Clemson lost, okay? But I think in doing so, and I'm basing this on the eye test, they both look like NCAA tournament teams and both have resumes that as long as the bottom doesn't drop out, I think they are NCAA ter- uh, teams. So uh, I, I think Florida State and, and, and Clemson uh, are definitely in that, that tier where I think as long as they don't do anything ridiculous, they'll end up in the tournament. And then don't sleep on Wake Forest. And I'll tell you why. Because – the first seven games they played without Efton Reed, seven-foot transfer from Gonzaga, he becomes eligible, and they become a much different team now that they've got a rim protector on defense and a guy inside they can go to. Well, three games ago, Damari Monsanto, their best three-point shooter from the last two years, comes back from injury. He suffered a knee injury, had 
off-season surgery, and now he's back in the lineup. And he's, I don't know what he did in his last game, but he was six of his first ten um, uh, on three-pointers. And as he you know, increases his playing time, that's going to make them even better, too. So I, I think the Wake has a chance to, to run off a few wins in a row. Uh, and then you, know, then you have the rest. And let's see what happens because uh, you know, this, this league is a dog-eat-dog kind of league, and everybody's going to cannibalize everybody else. So uh, I, I think those teams are the ones that I, I, I think have a, the best shot of getting in. But listen, NC State, Virginia – uh, Pittsburgh, even uh, if they get on a roll, you know it, it's possible. But I, I, I honestly believe that at least five teams from the ACC are getting in. I, I don't buy the whole two bid league. I don't buy the whole three bid t- league. I, I think at least five are getting in. Last one for you, Brett. We appreciate your time. Be free at ACC SaturdayRoad.com as well. Be free at ACC is the Twitter handle. Uh, seven versus three. 6 o'clock airtime, by the way, on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app for Duke at Carolina this coming Saturday. Whose outlook do you favor more out of this bunch? The more talented Duke team or the Carolina team that seems to have found something they could not find last year? Well, if you would have asked me yesterday, I would have said Carolina. But things have changed a little bit here over the last, what, uh, 48 hours or so. Because Duke really looked vulnerable on Saturday. And then they turned around and go to Virginia Tech, a place where they have not had a lot of luck lately, and looked like gangbusters. Uh, Now that Jeremy Roach looks like he's back to full health, that's huge for them. And then Carolina, I mean, say what you want about the last call, okay? Carolina should never have been in that position to have a call at the end, decide a game against Georgia Tech, and I don't care where the game was played. So maybe that's their wake-up call. Maybe after 10 straight wins, they started to get that little air of invincibility and, and, and they needed that kick in the pants to get them back. I think Carolina's going to win the game, I think because they're at home, and I think because Duke is not a very strong inside you know, defense and, and rebounding team, and I think Carolina, that's one of their strengths. So I think Carolina, if they can exploit that advantage, it'll be enough to get them through. But it's Carolina Duke, and if Duke shoots lights out the way they did in Blacksburg on Monday night, uh, all bets are off. There it is, the projection, that is, of how the Saturday game unfolds, 6 o'clock airtime, CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app, Duke at Carolina, and the long-term outlook from Brett Friedlander with us here in the Fast Lane. Brett, thank you for your time today. As always, we enjoy catching up, and we'll do it again in a couple of weeks. Anytime, Eddie. Brett Friedlander stepping into the fast lane with us today. We talked some football earlier. Now to the real football. Westwood 1's Kevin Harlan next here in the fast lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.